Welcome to this week's sermon from Amblecote Christian Centre. Good morning. Um, it's a pleasure to get to speak to you again. Um, today we are going to be continuing our More Than Me series, which um, if you've not been here, uh, it is all about us seeing ourselves not just as individuals, but as being part of a community. And today we're going to be focusing um, on the passing of our faith to the next generation. The truth is, our faith has a significant impact on the faith of those coming up behind us, whether we want it to or not. I think sometimes we can fall prey to the belief that my personal walk with Jesus is my personal walk. It's just that. But in reality, my faith and your faith shapes and impacts those in the younger generations. Our faith is like a stone thrown in water with the ripple effect. So as we consider this, um, I think there are three questions that we need to think about. First, what of our faith should we pass down? Second, why should we pass it down? And thirdly, how should we pass it down? And we're going to be reading from Deuteronomy um, chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. Um, so if you'd like to get your Bibles, I'm just going to give a little bit of context before we start reading. That's Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 to 9. So prior to chapter 6, Moses has been recounting the journey that the Israelites have been on. Um, and in chapter 5, he tells about the giving of the Ten Commandments. And he reminds Israel of how they have been terrified to hear God's voice. And that they had requested that God speak to Moses... And Moses can then speak to them as a sort of middleman. Um, and God agrees to this and he says to Moses, right, you stand by me and I will tell you the whole commandments and the statutes and the laws that you shall teach them. And this is where chapter six begins with Moses telling Israel what God spoke to him at that time. So let's begin in verse one. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Okay, so if we look at verses 1 to 3, Moses has basically said, this is what God is commanding we do as we live in the promised land. And he gives a load of reasons why the Israelites should follow God's commands. And then in verse 4, we hear what God is actually commanding, which is that the Israelites are to love God with all their heart, soul, and might. And this is what he commands them to have on their hearts and to teach the next generation. 
Now, this is probably very familiar for you um, because Jesus quotes this verse in several of the Gospels as being the greatest commandment. He says that this is the first and most important commandment and that the second commandment is to love your neighbour as yourself. And in Matthew, it is written that Jesus says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So, if we were to boil our faith down what it's really about, this is really a good starting place. And I think that helps us with our first question of what it is that we should pass down to the next generation. We need to be teaching the younger generations how to love God with their heart, soul, and might, and how to love others. Now, it's not that there aren't other important truths in God's word that we pass down, Of course there are, but these commands are the primary foundation blocks. Jesus doesn't say, forget about the law and the prophets, this is what's important. He says, on these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. They undergird all that God has instilled into the Jewish people, and it needs to undergird what we communicate is important to the next generation. And it's worth saying here that what we teach them is not just telling them the core principles and leaving it at that. We do tell them to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and might, but more importantly, we show them how to live, not just to live, but in the very way we live ourselves. These commandments are a way of life. They're not just words. This is something we'll explore more in the house section, so I will go into that more. Um, But I think one of the dangers in church is that sometimes we place too much emphasis on the things that perhaps aren't of foundational foundational importance. When me and Tim were um, getting married, um, the reception room we were going to use was actually a sort of um, church hall that was being used for worship and teaching. And all around the room, there were these banners. Um, Those who have been around for a while will know what I'm talking about. Um, but there were these banners that, um, that would say, they, they had like felt and they were really brightly coloured and they'd say, Jesus is Lord or God saves, you know, and there were loads of them all around. Now, me and Tim, we didn't particularly want these banners up um, because we wanted to use it as a wedding reception room. Um, but the people whose building it was, um, they were very attached to them and they felt that it would be wrong to remove them because it was a building of worship. And they felt that... Um, and so we were like, we were thinking, oh, what, what do we do? This is tricky. Um, but after a few weeks, they came back to us and they said that the Lord had convicted them about the importance that they had placed upon the banners and that they felt that they should remove them. Um, and they actually never put them back up after the wedding. <laughs> um, and sometimes um, we can do that in church, can't we? Uh, We can put an overemphasis on the wrong things. Sometimes issues of opinion or style become too important. Sometimes the idea that this is right because this is what we've always done becomes the guidelines. And we end up insisting on things that God himself doesn't insist on. Sometimes we get hung up on one particular biblical issue that isn't a primary issue, but we make it a primary issue. So I think we need to be careful and thoughtful first that the things we communicate as central truths are actually central biblical truths. 
And second, that the precious time we have to instill deep foundations in the next generation is spent on just that, building foundations that will hopefully root our children and young people in a strong faith that will be robust as they grow older. So let's move on to the why. Why do we pass the faith on to the next generation? Um, I've got, there should be a slide, yeah. Um, Hopefully this will help you because it's a bit dense, so I apologise if it's hard to follow. But um, the first reason is that this is simply how God has chosen to do things. He wants to partner with us as he builds his kingdom. He did with the Israelites and he does with us now. If we think about the way God has made humans, he has made us to function generationally. What I mean is that as a people, particularly within family units, we naturally pass on all sorts of traditions and ways of life to our children. God has made us to pass things down and God intends for this to be the way that faith also gets passed down. He invites us to participate and have some agency in his grand design. And the second reason why we pass the faith down is to do with blessing. If we look back at verses one to three, God lays out several blessings that Israelites will receive as they follow these commandments. He says, follow these commandments so that your days may be long, so that it may go well with you, and so that you may multiply greatly. God couldn't be clearer that there is blessing as they walk in obedience. Now, before we think about how this applies to us, I want to make two points of clarification about the blessings um, for the Israelites. The first point is regarding what is meant by the word blessing in the Old Testament. The Israelites received blessings from God within a framework, uh, within the framework of the Old Covenant. This means that there were blessings and promises made that were specific to the Israelite people and their context. And blessing was usually a sign of God's presence um, being with them and his faithfulness to their covenant. These particular blessings, long life, many descendants and peace, were actually signs of God's presence with his people. And the second clarification is that the blessings given to the Israelites are actually communal rather than individual. For sure, there is an important individual dynamic that is involved, but largely the emphasis is on the commandments being for the whole community and the blessings being for the whole community. For example, when God says that their days will be long, it doesn't mean that every single Israelite will have long life. It means generally, as a community, they will experience long life. Perhaps God gives them peace or favour in battles with other nations or provision in famine so that as a community, long life can be expected as they obey God's commands. So having clarified what God's blessings meant for Israel, then how might these blessings apply to us Well, firstly, as Jesus fulfilled the old covenant fully, we now live under the new covenant, and so the setup is different. In John 14, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and he will come to him and make our and we will come to him and make our home in him. 
And again in John 15, if you, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that, your joy may, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. In the new covenant, our blessing is actually still the presence of God. But for us, this looks like God himself coming to make his home in us. And as we follow his commands and abide in him, we experience the goodness of God's very life, don't we? We experience the goodness of his very life, his joy, his love, and all the gifts that his spirit gives. That is our blessing. So we pass down to the next generation, not only because we want God to make his home with us and bless us with his presence, but because we also want him to make his home in the lives of our children and young people. We want his blessing for both ourselves and for them. So you might be thinking, yeah, I get that, but what about the communal aspect of obedience and blessing um, for the Israelites? What about that? How does that apply to us? Well, Evidently, in the New Covenant, being obedient to God and being filled with his presence is hugely, individually, is hugely important. That much is clear. But it's not the whole story. There is still a communal aspect to our obedience. In the letters to the churches in Revelation, um, God operates towards them communally. He praises them and rebukes them together concerning their obedience to his commands. If we understand blessing in the new covenant as God coming and making his home in us, that does mean us individually, but it also means us as a community, as the body of Christ. We, we don't have lo- I don't have loads of time to unpack this, but um, the point I'm getting at is that as we obey God and pass on this way of life, we are rewarded with the blessings of his presence, both individually and as a community. The ideal image is that as we raise children that love and serve the Lord and that they raise children that love and serve the Lord, um, uh, uh, that love and serve the Lord, we reap as a church community the richness of a body of believers with whom God is present and active. So we are now going to look at the how. Um, we're going to spend some time... Um, in this last bit, looking at the how and how do we pass the faith on. Now, in these passages, there is a lot of instruction for those who are day-to-day in the lives of the next generation, which for us now is mostly parents. But actually, a lot of what is talked about is important for anybody that has relationship with the next generation, whether that be through church, as grandparents, or simply being friends with a family that has children and young people. We are all influences, influencers in one way or another on the next generation. So I want to point out three things um, that we need to do, uh, do, that we need to do if we want to communicate our faith well. So the first thing to say is that we can only pass on what we have ourselves. God directs the Israelites to have these commandments on their hearts before directing them to pass the commands down. So these commandments need to be real for you first for the process of passing on to happen. They need to be on your heart. That means they need to be held at the core of your inner person. 
the orbit which your entire life revolves around. The command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might has to be a lived out reality. These cannot just be words that we say. It has to be chosen and acted upon each day. You might know the well-known quip um, that adults say to children, do what I say, not what I do. But the reason this always fails is that your choices and actions say more about what you love than your words. Words are important for sure, but they have to be followed by actions that are in line with them. If I encourage my kids to eat healthy food, but then every time it gets to dinner, I don't eat any vegetables, I might tell them that healthy eating is important, but what I really communicate to them is that it doesn't matter. Even though I've said it's important, they will only really believe that if my actions show it to be true and I actually eat my vegetables. Sally and Clay Clarkson, um, in their excellent book on parenting, say this, your children will acquire appetites for the life-giving things of God primarily because of what you value, not because of what you want them to value. If you want them to desire things that lead them to the life of God, then you will have to show them what that means by your own appetite choices. And it is sometimes the smallest choices. What you do with your time, what you talk about, what you prioritise. It might be asking your child's forgiveness when you've been harsh with them or thanking God before bed with them. It's reading the Bible with them or showing them grace when they've been horrible all day. Easier said than done. <laughs> um, it's these things that tell them what matters. If I never ask for forgiveness from my children, they will struggle to believe in it because they will know that I don't really believe in it. A professor recently said that without question, the most important pastor a child will ever have in their life is a parent. If you want to know what's the most important thing you can do to help children you care about grow into having their own faith, it's this, to live it yourself. The second thing um, I want to notice about the passage in verse 7 is that it says that we must talk about God and his ways throughout the day. This means two things. First, there has to be enough time being spent together to allow conversations to develop. It's not that you need to set apart lots of special time to talk about God, although this is certainly a good thing to do. But the passage is really getting at us needing to capture those moments in the regular grind of daily life to talk about God and being willing to stop and have those heart-to-heart -heart talks. When I was growing up, most of the conversations I had with my dad about God came about over lunch or dinner or washing up. It was rarely a set-aside time, although he did set-aside time, um, he would, but it was, rarely, it was rarely that. He would often end up sitting for way longer than he intended to after lunch in order, in order to engage with me and uh, answer my questions. He knew its value. He knew its value. And second, we must have actual conversations. By that, I mean 
that a high proportion of the conversation must be listening to them, not talking at them. This is important at home and in the church. In a recent study by the Barna Group about why young people leave the church, 36% said they felt unable to ask their most pressing life questions in church. <laughs> it's really sad, isn't it? That's really sad. Um, we must be people who listen to the questions and struggles our young people have. We can be quick to tell them what we think, but not always quick to listen and really understand. I wonder if sometimes the reason we find it difficult to properly engage with the questions our young people have is that if we are being honest, sometimes they're asking questions we haven't thought through or don't know the answers to. Perhaps their questions feel like a threat to the things that we hold as true. And honestly, sometimes they are. There are several times in my life where I have had to re-examine the beliefs I hold because something or someone has challenged it. And it's scary sometimes. It is scary. But it will build a far more robust faith in the long run if you do. Our young people are growing up in a world where there is access to a lot of information. There are going to be some tough questions in the years ahead, and we must equip ourselves to engage with them. I'm not saying that we need to have all the answers to every question up our sleeve. Sometimes we might need to point them to someone else we know who has looked into a specific issue. Or perhaps we could actually say to the young person, you know, I don't know the answer to that, but let's look into it together. Let's come alongside them in their struggles, in their questions. And the third thing to draw from the passage, very briefly, because we don't have loads of time, um, is that we must have rhythms that point us and the next generation toward God. In verses 8 and 9, the Israelites are encouraged to have things in place that are constant reminders of the way that God is calling them to live. And we also need to have reminders that keep us on life-giving paths. Perhaps that's having a Sabbath rest each week. Or maybe it's reading a Bible story to your kids over breakfast in the morning. In my family, we used to have a 10-minute family prayer time after dinner on a Sunday. It wasn't super intense. It was very short and very relaxed. But it was a rhythm that we did, and it always reminded me and brought me back to God in those moments on those Sundays. Rhythms are reminders of what is true. And this is important for our young people who are growing up in a world where truth is very fluid and individualized. They will need rhythms in family life and in the church life that keep them engaging with what is true and real. I'm going to finish here, um, but I do want to say before I finish that I know it's a difficult topic for many people. Perhaps, um, perhaps you have regrets about your parenting and it's been painful hearing this. But I would want to say that we are called to plant seeds the best that we can. And we are definitely going to do that imperfectly. All of us will do it imperfectly. And actually, even when we do it really well, that isn't a guarantee that we'll, things will turn out as we hoped for. 
But thankfully, we plant seeds and it is God that harvests those seeds. And we can trust him with it. None of us can be perfect, but he can. He is. And he never stops being that for us or for our children. We can always go to him. Shall we pray? Thank you, Jesus, that you, um, you partner with us, that you include us in the passing on of the faith. Thank you that you're not a far off God, but you want us to be a part of. Lord Jesus, it is hard to pass the faith on well. <laughs> It is a hard thing to do and we all fail. But Jesus, I do thank you that you you are a perfect father. That you are a perfect father to our children even when we fail our children. That is a great comfort. But Lord, I do pray that you would help us as, um, as, we, as families and as a church to, um, to engage with the next generation. That we would show them, we would model to them what it truly looks like to follow you. That we wouldn't shy away from the scary questions and the difficult things. That you would help us to become good listeners attentive listeners, kind listeners. I pray that as we go away this week, Lord, that you would help us to evaluate how we live and how we do this. Help us each day point towards you with our very lives, Lord. Jesus. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Amblecote Christian Centre. For more information about who we are, what we believe and how you can get involved, check out our website www.amblecotechristiancentre.org.uk